0: I've been dreading doing this episode. Usually, as you guys know, we drop our episodes at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, and this one's a little bit late today, Um, partially because I've been dreading doing it, but partially because we've been waiting for all the information on the Uvalde shooting, the shooting which caused the death of 19 children at Robb Elementary School in Texas, and two adults, two teachers, in addition to the shooter. And... The, these episodes are always the very hardest for me to do because yesterday watching this unfold, anytime there's a mass casualty event, anytime there's an atrocity, whether it's a terror attack, whether it's a bombing, whether it's war, whether it's you know another mass shooting like, like we just saw in Buffalo, New York, it's awful. It's like, it's like a gut punch to see these innocent people who were just going about their businesses, going about their business, just gunned down. They, they're, they're victims of these horrific crimes at the same time when it's children who are targeted it just hits differently. Uh, y- yesterday watching this unfold, watching all the push notifications and following along trying to get the, get information as quickly as we all were, as quickly as we could, I just kept thinking, oh my goodness, this is an elementary school where there are second graders, third graders and fourth graders and all I could think of as a mom is my little girl. All I could think of is these little kids, you know, in pigtails going to school, their front teeth, probably without their front teeth and just killed killed by bullets and it's it's truly it's truly so awful and what what's awful on top of the awful is the politics of the thing which we'll we'll talk about in a few minutes because the politics must be talked about the problem is when you're when you're analyzing an event like this an atrocity as it's unfolding it can be difficult to know where to start and difficult to know what the answer is and unfortunately In this case, specifically, it's not just the left that's getting this wrong. It's not just Democratic politicians or liberal pundits who are calling for ridiculous, you know, gun control agenda items or big government policies telling us that if we just give up our AR-15s, this wouldn't happen. It's not just Democrats who are getting this wrong. Actually, a lot of conservatives are getting their analysis of 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 this mass shooting wrong as well. So I wanna dig into that today. I wanna share with you how I analyze horrific events like this mass shooting and how we as conservatives ought to look at this. I'm Liz Wheeler, welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Now I like cozy earth sheets because they address a problem many of us have. So let me ask you a question. How did you sleep last night? If you answered this question, well, not so great, or just okay, or please don't ask, well, you are not alone. One out of every three Americans reports being sleep deprived, and your sheets could be part of your problem. That's why I like cozy earth sheets. The wrong sheets can trap body heat, leaving you boiling one minute and then freezing the next. The solution, Cozy Earth sheets. They are the softest, most luxurious, and best temperature-regulating sheets on the planet. It's like sleeping on a cloud, which makes sense because they're made from bamboo, which allows Cozy Earth sheets to breathe. So you sleep at the perfect temperature all year round. Cozy Earth even offers a 100-night sleep trial, which means you have up to 100 nights to sleep on it, wash it, try it out. If you're not completely in love, just send it back for a full refund. You can now save 35% on Cozy Earth Bamboo Betting, 35%, but you have to use my URL. It's CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. You have to hurry. This offer ends soon. It's CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. So... The, the, the takes from the left on this shooting are obviously wrong. Like I said, we'll talk about that in a little bit because it is important to be able to debunk narratives coming from powerful politicians or viral social media claims, especially when we all feel this emotion. We all feel this impetus to take action. We have to stop this. We can't live in a country where these atrocities are commonplace. We must, isn't there something we can do? And the Democrats feed into this emotion that we feel. This very, it's a right and proper emotion. It's a good thing that we're feeling this. And Democrats feed into that by telling us, of course, we can fix this. Of course, we can stop this. All you have to do is pass our political agenda. And then they promise us that it, that that these atrocities won't happen again. We know that's not true. We'll get into that in a few minutes. But conservatives, even those who are supporters of the Second Amendment, even those who are truly not just Republicans, but are limited government, pro-individual liberty conservatives actually are, get, are, are getting this completely wrong. They're actually proposing a non-conservative viewpoint. They're, they're asking government to fix this. So we have, we have the liberals who are blaming guns and the liberals who are blaming Republicans, which is false. To the it's completely false, but it's also grotesque in a moment like this to try to use people's grief as mudslinging, just to just to smear your political opponents. So liberals are getting this wrong. Establishment Republicans like David French are calling for red flag laws. Red flag laws mean if you basically it's it's the way to codify that if you if you see something say something if there's some indication that an individual has committed a crime or has a mental health issue you can report that to the government and without due process of law the government meaning law enforcement can take away someone's firearms until an investigation happened and like I said, establishment Republicans like David French are calling for red flag laws, which sound okay. In fact, full disclosure here, I used to be more of a supporter of red flag laws than I am now because it sounds great. All of these shooters always display red flags, things that their friends or their their schoolmates or their coworkers or even their family say, "Yeah, that was really weird. We saw these we saw these red flags in this individual. If only we had stopped him." And so I used to support the idea of red flag laws more than I do, but I realized that that one crucial word that I mentioned, due process, that red flag laws suspend due process in order to allow law enforcement to confiscate guns from someone who, where, where it hasn't been adjudicated. And that's a, that's a vulnerability, um, that's a vulnerability for, for abuse, for abuse in a, in, a, in a very widespread way. And so until we address, until we address that, until we address Um, the due process aspect and incorporate due process as we should in red flag laws, the type of red flag laws that people like David French are calling for um, would cause more problems than, than they would stop. So then we have Republican lawmakers as well, not just pundits, not just establishment figures like David French. Republican lawmakers are already just wanting to talk about public policy. They're wanting to talk about hardening schools. They're wanting to talk about funding for security at, in, in the public school system, and th- this is fine. It, it's not a bad thing. We should have that conversation. But there's an aspect of this coming from Republicans where an aspect of what they're calling for that is also completely missing the point because they're looking for government to solve this issue. And this isn't an issue that can be solved only by government. Again, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to actually how we could potentially solve this um, down the line here. Just bear with me. Then we have the political pundits whose takes, the political pundits even on our own side, whose takes are just wildly off base. Um, political pundits who are saying, don't share the photo of the shooter, don't say the name of the shooter, don't publish anything about his ideology, or if, if, if they leave a manifesto, don't, don't even read this, don't pass it along. And this is all wrong. Every single take, whether it's liberals blaming guns and Republicans, whether it's the establishment GOP calling for the suspension of due process, whether it's Republican lawmakers looking to government to solve this, whether it's pundits talking about hiding news from people that people want to see in the face of this atrocity, these are all completely wrong, completely wrong. And here I think, as this is unfolding yesterday, I'm just sitting here thinking about the families of these children. There there was a tweet that I saw yesterday that made me cry, to be honest. It's from a New York Times reporter named Maggie Astor, and she tweeted this, she said, after Sandy Hook, I read about how the group of parents waiting in a firehouse had dwindled until finally they were told that if they were still there, their children were dead. The reporters wrote that the screaming could be heard from the street. She says, I will never forget that. And so when all these bad political takes are floating around the internet and on the airwaves yesterday, all i'm doing is thinking my goodness we have to pray for these families not because we can undo this event because i pray that these moms and these dads and these families can somehow even if it's in the smallest way feel the presence of god throughout throughout this horrendous tragedy that 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 we're all following that we're all feeling the grief even those of us who Aren't personally touched, our families haven't been personally destroyed. We feel your pain. We feel your pain. And so how I analyze these events going forward is first I ask all the questions. I say, well, why did this happen? What why did this happen? What what allowed this to happen? What was the circumstances of the event itself? It was a public school. And you'll notice that these shootings that happen at schools happen at public schools. They don't happen at Catholic schools, elementary schools, or high schools. They don't happen at Jewish schools. They, they don't even really happen at private classical schools. They happen at public schools. So why is that? Is it is it a matter of access? Um, meaning access to the building itself. It, it, is, there, is there some difference in the security between the private schools that I mentioned that that aren't the targets oftentimes of these shootings and public schools that are? And I wanna read you, um, I wanna read you a tweet from, let me bring this up here. I wanna read you a tweet from a reporter at The Daily Caller who said, seriously, before we start unpacking all of the other mitigating measures that we can take to prevent such acts of violence, mental health, Second Amendment, shouldn't we start with the simplest stuff? Why was the door leading to a bunch of helpless children unlocked? And th- this is this reporter, by the way, is Jeffrey Ingersoll. He said, You'd be surprised what a locked door, simple as it may be, can do to prevent a criminal looking for opportunity. In his first interview, the FBI agent who originally started profiling serial killers heard testimony from one whose MO was simply to look for unlocked doors. Why was the door unlocked? What circumstances at this school allowed this to happen? this This is a very important part, and I, I I wouldn't even call this political policy. I suppose it is because all politics is personal. all politics has to do with with us uh, as people and our families and our children. But you have to contrast not not you don't even have to contrast this in in the governmental sense, but think about a bank. Think about walking in there. Think about all the security and the security cameras, the single point of entrance, the fact that you have eyes on you the second you walk in a bank and there's always armed and unarmed security in a bank. Those those are not, that's not a government run bank. That's not a government policy. Those are are private organizations that, that protect our money better than we protect our children. That secure the premises of where we keep our dollars and our cents more than we protect the schools where, our sons and daughters go. And this is something moms and dads should start speaking out against, just like moms and dads were the ones who spoke out against critical race theory. Moms and dads are the ones who are currently speaking out against queer theory and transgender indoctrination in schools. Moms and dads need to demand from from our politicians that we secure the premises of schools, that there's a single point entry that you have to you have to know who is coming in. You don't just let anybody in the school. You you lock the doors. Maybe there's metal detectors. There certainly should be security on site, armed security on site, whether this is hired by the school, whether this is the volunteer programs that a lot of conservatives have been talking about. These are things, of course, of course, that moms and dads can't just defer to politicians. Moms and dads have to take responsibility for their children because the government has failed. The government has told us, you can send your kids to our schools and they'll be safe. and that's not true. That's false. And so moms and dads have to step up here. That's the first question. Why did this happen? Was the school secured? And then what, what signs were missed here? This is, this is a big one, I think, because the signs that were missed here, every single time we experience one of these events in our country, that one of these, these horrible mass shootings or terror attack, attacks is inflicted on us and our loved ones, there were always signs that people say, oh yeah, the, the criminal, the killer was a real weirdo. And that was the case here, too, that this this 18 year old kid, this eighteen year old kid was had serious mental health issues that everyone in his life knew about, that he that he cut himself. There, there was a New York Post article. I think I have it up here on my tab still. a New York Post article that was describing his his pattern of self-harm. A friend of his had said, "Well, he showed up to the park one day and he had scratches all over his face. And the friend asked, oh, what happened? At first, at first, the killer said, oh, a cat scratched me and later admitted that he had cut himself repeatedly with a knife on his face. And when his friend was like, why did you do that? He said, just for fun. That right there, that's a mental health issue. That is a mental illness. Self-harm is a, is a destructive mental illness. He was also violent, violent towards his mother. He was violent towards his mother to the point that she, she sent him to his grandmother. He, he later shot his grandmother. This, this is a mental health issue. At his workplace, he worked at Wendy's. He was known to have been aggressive. He was known to be antisocial and he was known to have outbursts. Th- these are mental health. These are, these are social problems or mental health problems that, that display in society that people around him, people who knew him knew of. He also stopped attending school because he was bullied, because he wore eyeliner, because he was emo, because he had a lisp. All of these different things, I mean, the, these show perhaps some of the causes of the mental health issues, but they show he had serious mental health issues, serious mental health issues. And these are not signs that we as a society should ignore. And I, I know that's very easy to say, oh, if, if you see these signs, do something about it. And you say, okay, but what is there to do? This is exactly where conservatives get this wrong. This is where conservatives get this wrong because when when conservatives see this scenario, they say, what government policy can we put into place to prevent this? Can we implement a law, a red flag law that empowers law enforcement to take action on someone who is dis- displaying mental health issues to prevent them from even getting their hands on a gun? Is there some kind of policy you know at, at a school that we can look to to prevent this? And this is a fundamentally anti-conservative view because cons- the, the, the fundamental ideology of conservatism isn't just small government for the sake of small government. It's small government for two reasons. It's small government to protect against a big government usurping our rights. Big governments tend towards tyranny. It's not a matter of, of if they do. It's just a matter of when. But the idea of small government or limited government is fundamentally to protect our right to worship, our right to free association, our right to basically to create a community through marriage and the fam the nuclear family unit and bolstered by our church and our faith community. That's that's the underlying the fundamental the very baseline idea behind limited government. It's not just because oh we want a free for all or we want anarchy or because you know because we didn't like the tyrant king George. The idea of a limited government protecting against or a limited government being a protection against a usurping big government is so that we can have the freedom to do those things. And those things, family and religion, those institutions are bulwarks against this kind of behavior. Against this kind of evil because that that's the thing. The people who who are advocating that we that we ignore the killer, that we don't publish his name, that we don't show his photograph or pass it around, that we don't look at his ideology or his history or a- anything about him, that we don't study him because we don't want to give him infamy and notoriety or create copycats, they're missing the point here. Because the point here is this, this isn't just an ideological battle between leftist political policies and, and, right, and the political policies of the right. This is far beyond that. This is a battle between good and evil in our country. You don't open fire on 19, 8, 9, and 10-year-olds if you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. This is evil incarnate. This is a person who, yes, was made in the image of God and at some point made the decision to embrace the great evil one. This is demonic. This is satanic. This is evil. And so the battle that we're fighting in this country isn't the battle between gun control or or constitutional carry. This is a much bigger battle. And, and this evil that I'm talking about, this evil that corrupted a, a what looks like a mentally vulnerable youth, this evil can take root in a youth like that, If evil takes root culturally first, if we don't practice our faith, if we don't have a faith community, if we fail to promote the family, a married mom and dad, if, if, if we as a community don't say no to evil and build a structure, an infrastructure of institutions that serve as a bulwark against this evil, then we've left this we've left vulnerable youth or youth who are vulnerable to evil vulnerable to evil it's it's a much it's a much bigger thing there there's also a list of there's there's a list of determining factors that are almost always not determining factors there's a list of factors that are almost always present in these shooters and no one wants to talk about these factors We're told it's a gun problem. We're told it's an access problem. We're told, you know, whatever it may be, it's a white supremacy problem. That's what they told us after Buffalo, um, which, yes, he was a white supremacist and an an anti-Semite. But there's a list of other determining factors that even conservatives don't want to talk about, and these are actually where we need to focus. Now, I like Bambi, and I think you will, too, because small business owners, have you ever had an issue with employee attendance? Have you had an employee altercation in the workplace? Have you ever been confused on how to handle a situation with an employee? Have you ever had employee performance issues? Have you ever stressed about navigating through HR compliance? Well, the bad news is that one complaint against your company can turn your whole world upside down. The good news is Bambi is here to help small business owners implement good HR practices. Bambi is an HR platform built for businesses just like yours. So you can automate the most important HR practices and get your own dedicated HR manager. First, Bambi's HR Autopilot automates your core policies, workplace training, and employee feedback. Then your dedicated HR manager will help you navigate the more complex parts of HR and guide you to compliance. They're available by phone, email, or real-time chat. An in-house HR manager can cost up to $80,000 a year. But with Bambi, your dedicated HR manager starts at just $99 a month. No hidden fees. You can cancel anytime. You run your business let Bambi run your HR. Go to Bambi.com slash Liz right now for your free HR audit. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash Liz. Bambi.com slash Liz. Okay. So oftentimes even conservatives don't want to talk about, about, well, the red flags that are almost always, I wouldn't, I won't even say oftentimes are almost always evident in, in these killers. So let's talk about some of them. So Oftentimes, most times, these killers have a history of mental health. We just talked about about this killer's his, his mental health history here, um, and this is true. This is true in most violent events. In most. Mass casualty atrocities. In fact, Kyle Becker tweeted. He said, "Over 40 years, the statistics show guns don't cause mass shootings, but mental illness does. The overwhelming number of mass shooters had prior mental health issues. In a nation of 393 million guns, 99.999 percent are not used for mass shootings." He says, "Stop blaming law-abiding gun owners." And and he he posts he posts a graphic here showing that um, mass shootings in the United States between 1982 and May of 2022, by presence of prior signs of shooters' mental health issues, that 63% had prior signs of mental health problems. 63% of them did. And in in an additional 24, it was just unclear. 63%. So this, this is a huge determining factor. And yet we're told that we shouldn't focus on that, or that it's just a cop-out, it's a whataboutism, the left tells us. We don't wanna put a stigma on people with mental health issues, which we're not, we're not doing, we're just identifying that people with mental health issues who show signs of aggression or domestic violence are much more likely to to commit these these heinous acts. So mental health issue is one. There's also a pattern of, and I, I don't know about this individual, I hope we find out this information, but there's a pattern of these killers being on black box uh, drugs, usually on SSRIs, that these black box drugs that, that tell you that they, that they address, whether it's schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, sometimes um, depression, maybe anxiety. If, if you read the black, black box label on these drugs, they have you know suicidal ideation, homicidal ideation as the side effects, sometimes, not always, sometimes. And we can't ignore that. We can't ignore that the side effect of some of these drugs is a mental disorder that gives you an inclination to want to commit a heinous act like this. Um, A lot of these killers are also really into violent video games. That's the case. That's the case with this killer. He was known to play Call of Duty. He was known to play Call of Duty, which simulates the gruesome murder, the gruesome death of individuals. You you sit there, you're a shooter, and, and that's what the game is. We can't ignore the studies that show that when you're this obsessed with video games, especially ones that that simulate you as the killer, that this this carries over into your mental health. It carries over into your behavior towards other people. There are studies that show that violent video games actually make people more violent in their personal life, more likely to commit violent crimes. We can't ignore that. It might not be the single, it might not be the only trigger for someone to go on a psychotic rampage. But when you have this totality of evidence, these totality of factors that when you add them together make someone more likely to commit this, why would we as a society ignore this? Because it's unpopular to say, because it might hurt someone's feelings because you like Call of Duty or you know someone who's on a black box drug. We're not I, I'm not sitting here and making an allegation that everyone who takes part in one or more of these these behaviors or activities is going to be a mass shooter. But you have this, this, this pattern where these shooters, these mass shooters, these killers, they, they usually are associated with the majority of these factors. There's also the isolation factor. The isolation factor, the majority of these shooters are isolated in some way, they're socially isolated. The buffalo shooter was, was a COVID paranoid. He was locked down for two years. He didn't go to school. He didn't see anybody. You know, this guy was antisocial. He stopped going to school. He um he was quiet. He didn't talk to anybody. He had very few friends. This this isolation, the, the lack of God. We see a lack of belief in God, a lack of that faith community and the personal belief that other people have dignity. I don't know what this guy's religious views were, but I'm interested to know. We also see a pattern of messed up family life, of fatherlessness. Of parents who are divorced, of, of parents who aren't involved, who don't, who don't supervise their children, who don't train them up with good morals, who are are so distant or so absent that they don't notice the red flags themselves, the signs that their child needs help. This shooter not only was violent towards his mother, his mother sent him to his grandmother. This is a broken family. He came from a broken family. And then the the final the final piece of this. Is, is these children, he was, he, he was 18 years old, yes, but this didn't happen overnight. Children and teenagers have access, unrestricted access to poison online, violent poison, racist poison, whatever it may be, pornography, video games, without any supervision. These children, as they're in their formative years, are exposed to noxious content, to Content that assaults the dignity of other people, content that indoctrinates them. And when, when you take this totality of, of factors, I don't, like I said, I don't understand why this is so taboo, why this is such a no no for us to talk about. Because almost every single one of these shooters, you go down this checklist and they check off the majority of these things. So if we want to identify these people before they commit acts and get them help so that they don't, so that we can protect our children then then we have to to not just talk about public policy. We can't just talk about hardening schools. Hardening schools is good. We should do that. We have to talk about these individual risk factors and what we, not the government, what we as a culture can do to prevent these things from happening. Because if you'll notice, the majority of the things that I just listed, online internet access, family life, religion, isolation, video games, mental health, And the drugs that they're on, those aren't all things that the government is involved in or should be involved in. Those are things that parents should be involved in. Those are things the family should be involved in. It's not possible to substitute government for the family. And it's a very anti-conservative position to suggest that government has to be the answer to this and that the answer doesn't lie in our our own cultural structure and the assault that we have sustained on family life, on marriage, on gender, on relationships, on, on, on the institutions that serve as a bulwark against these vulnerable youth being corrupted by evil, that is, evil is trying to corrupt our youth. And then we have, of course, the politics of the thing. The politics of the thing right now, the left is blaming the NRA, they're blaming guns, they're blaming Republicans. Um, Jessica Valenti is a left-wing commentator, and this is just, this is a this pretty much encapsulates what the left's attitude is right now. She tweeted, as far as I'm concerned, any politician who fails to vote against the gun lobby is an effing murderer, as responsible for these children's deaths as the shooter themselves. Uh, this is why she said, I really wish I believed in hell. This is what the left, this is what the left is saying right now. There's a congressman, there's a congressman whose name is Ruben Gallego who says, F your prayers. They haven't worked for the last 20 mass shootings. Uh, how about passing laws that will stop these killings? And you know, we had we had Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff is actually blaming pro-lifers. He says, imagine how many children wouldn't be slaughtered in school if being pro-life was more than just a talking point for Republicans in Congress. Biden says, when in God's name are we going to do something? about the gun lobby. He says any any politician who doesn't vote for common sense gun reform, we will remember you, he says. Chris Murphy says this is a choice. And we can talk about gun control and the second amendment and what actually what public policy is appropriate in the face of these things. The the and we can talk about that in in up in in subsequent days. The only thing that I would say in direct response to these people is what what laws are you proposing? that would actually stop or prevent these, these mass shootings from happening. Because there's already laws against murder. There's already laws against, against weapons in, in, on a school zone. Remember, just because this happened in Texas, it, the school there was still a gun-free zone. This, you're not allowed to have firearms around the school. It, it makes schools sitting ducks. It's it's essentially inviting killers saying, hey, you know, there's not going to be anybody carrying in defense there because they're not allowed to because they follow the law. So why don't you just come in and you know maybe the doors are unlocked, maybe these schools aren't hardened. It's the perfect target. So what laws are you actually proposing that would stop this? I, I was talking to my husband and one of his Navy buddies last night. We went to dinner. And we were talking about this and his buddy. And keep in mind th- these are these are military men. They're very they're very pro Second Amendment gun owners themselves. And his buddy was just like, do you think that we wouldn't willingly and happily give up all of our guns if it actually worked? If it actually prevented these shootings from happening? If it actually protected children? Do you think we wouldn't, that every second amendment advocate, every gun owner wouldn't willingly dump their guns if it actually stopped gun related homicides? And I thought, you know, that's interesting because we would, we would do that but it doesn't work. It doesn't stop mass shooters because mass shooters are criminals and criminals break the law. So what it does is it just renders legal gun owners vulnerable to criminals who would break, who would break the law. It doesn't actually stop these things. Um, again, this isn't just a policy discussion. There's something much bigger at play that if Republicans don't understand, if conservatives don't understand, then we will risk losing losing the political battle on, on our Second Amendment rights. We will lose to the gun control left because think of the emotion that you felt the last 24 hours. Think about... Think about your desire to act, your inclination to do something. This is not a wrong inclination that the left has. Their prescribed action that they want you to take or want you to accept, that's what's wrong. But the inclination to act is, is a good thing. This is something we should all be feeling. And Republicans and conservatives risk losing the political battle, which would, enda- it's important because it would endanger more of us. We risk losing this if we if we belittle this into just a a policy argument. Now I like ExpressVPN because it keeps my family and my information safe online. If you go online without ExpressVPN, let's just say using the internet without ExpressVPN is like checking your baggage at the airport without a lock. You might think your stuff is kept private, but you never know who's going through your personal things. Likewise, when you go online without a VPN, internet service providers can see every single website you visit. Also creepy. They can also legally sell this information without your consent to ad companies and tech giants who then use your data to target you. When you use ExpressVPN, internet service providers cannot see your online activity. Your identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server. Your data is also encrypted for maximum protection. It's also, by the way, really easy to use. You just fire up the app on your phone and you click one button. That's all there is to it. It works on all your devices, phones, laptops, even routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected. I like ExpressVPN because it keeps my family and our personal information safe when we are online secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com/liz today if you use my url expressvpn.com/liz you can get an extra 3 months free expressvpn.com/liz so republicans risk losing the policy debate in in the eyes of the public and that's it's it is an important policy debate because it will either Make us more safe if Republicans win, or less safe if the left, the gun control lobby, um, wins here. But it's it's so much bigger than that. If we zoom out for a minute on on what's actually at play here, it's a battle between good and evil. It's not a battle between the left's policy and the right's policy. This this is it's a battle between good and evil, and this is what Republicans are so afraid to say. This is why everyone's analysis about this mass shooting in Uvalde is wrong. It's not a public policy problem. It's a battle, a spiritual battle between good and evil. And if you don't acknowledge that, the battle's still gonna happen around you. But your activity, your feelings, your political activism, even your vote, isn't going to make a difference. Because the public policy fight is about this big, The spiritual battle between good and evil is about this big. So you can stay relegated down here to just fighting politics, but if you don't fight the spiritual battle, then it doesn't matter what you do in politics. You fight evil by promoting institutions that serve as a bulwark against that evil. This, by the way, is also why it's so important, why I say all the time that it's so important that we fight the culture war battles in our country, where whether this is critical race theory in school, whether it's critical race theory at the corporate level, whether it's queer theory in school, whether it's queer theory at the corporate level, whether it's abortion, whether it's um, whether it's assault on, on the family, whatever it might be in, in the culture where it's so important, so critically important that we don't just become fiscal conservatives, that we don't just focus on the economy and on jobs and on foreign policy, that we do fight the, the battles over social issues because- when evil corrupts our civil institutions, that means our non-governmental institutions, when, it, when evil corrupts our civil institution institutions, it then corrupts kids. Schools, church, our, our community, our neighborhoods, the nuclear family, a married mom and dad, marriage in, gener- in, in general, gender, parental rights, these all serve as, as guardians of children against evil. Because evil is coming after our children. Evil is coming after our children, and it's up to us. This is actually the, the, the debate, or, or the battle, if you will, that's happening within the conservative movement it, itself. People just don't want to put a pin in it. They don't want to, to put a name on it. But this is actually the battle between what What's called based conservatism, if you will, versus establishment republicanism, it is the question of what kind of country do you want to live in? What things or ideas or principles do we actually value? This is a choice that we have to make, and ultimately, it's a choice between good and evil. When we ask ourselves well, what values? do we hold most dear, that the answer to that question is what we're going to prioritize in our political policy. And right now, even from the conservative movement, we're actually giving very mixed messages. But we have to ask, ultimately, is freedom the ultimate good? Is that freedom in and of itself the virtue? Or is freedom one bulwark against evil corrupting our ability to have families and raise children and ha- and secure our parental rights and be able to pass on our values and our principles and our faith to those children without enemies foreign or domestic infringing upon our ability to do that. The- this is this is the this is the divide within the conservative movement right now. You know the David French side says well the blessings of liberty is is the ultimate good and, and you know a lot of people make fun of David French for for labeling the drag queen story hour as, well, this is, this is a blessing of liberty. This is one of the, the evil necessities that comes when, when, when we have the freedom to do what, what we want. And he puts on this pedestal the idea of freedom as, as the ultimate good. There's another part of the conservative movement that says, no, freedom is not the ultimate good. Freedom is one of these bulwarks that protects against evil so that we then can pursue the higher good. The higher good is furthering the kingdom of God and doing so through marriage and doing so through children and doing so through the practice of your faith. And there's a lot of conservatives and Republicans who try to separate their political views from their faith or their political views from their religious views. And they do that because they think it's a turnoff to voters. They do that because they're worried about the attacks from the left. Or they do that because they're simply, they're simply lazy in their faith life. They, they, they don't know any better. I, I don't care what their motivation is, why they do this. The fact of the matter is they do this and we can't. We have to sit here and say, I care deeply about the country that I live in. I care deeply about what kind of country our children are growing up in, what kind of country we are going to pass down to future generations. I care whether... My child is going to public school and is being exposed to child pornography, being groomed to to think that they're a racist if they're white or oppressed if they're black, being groomed to think that, that gender mutilation is appropriate and good, being a sitting duck to evil in the form of a killer who is coming to harm the child. So those feelings that we're all feeling, the feelings of grief, the feelings of helplessness, the feelings of we have to do something. There are politicians who are saying any action. I think it was Obama who said, take any action. I see your feelings. And I I raise you. This is bigger than you think. It's bigger than a policy debate. Your inclination to action is warranted. But what the Democrats are presenting to you or asking from you is a bait and switch. They're exploiting your emotions in order to push their own political agenda. The action you actually need to take is action to undermine evil. Politicians don't want to do that. So we have to. Banning guns, guns are already banned in school. Instead, what's happening in school is we're inculcating evil instead of good. An institution that should be a bulwark against evil has become a place where evil festers. Our choice moving forward is do we want to protect our children? Do we want to protect our children from evil? If we want to protect our children, we have to protect them from evil. Evil that kills them in their classrooms, evil that corrupts vulnerable kids by destroying the institutions intended to protect kids from being vulnerable to that evil, and then allowing some of them to fall prey to the evil that turns them into killers. It's so much bigger than a policy debate. And we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to fight the fight that actually matters? Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay, executive producer, Chad Abbott, director of photography, Kevin McRoberts, editor, Alejandro Figuerella. sound mixer, Robin Fenderson, director of marketing, Emily Wachler, production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler, and senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.